You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior RX Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior RX Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved healthcare outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Welcome to Senior RX Radio. My name is Jaron Stout. And my name is Joanne Payo, and we are the new hosts of Senior RX Radio. And we are still here in beautiful Dallas, Texas for the 50th anniversary of ASCP. It's been really fun to be here and celebrate that anniversary. And not only that, but to talk pharmacy all week long, always a fun thing thing for me to do. So So today we have amazing guests. We have the lovely Veronica Charles and Arnold Clayman. So they um, actually did a presentation um, yesterday morning and the presentation was business from the beltway and it's basically you guys discussing different things occurring in the government regarding pharmacy so welcome on our show today thanks for having us absolutely yeah um we talked a lot yesterday about regulatory and legislative things that are going on in dc and tried to give everybody an update so they know where we are um, things that are important to pharmacy especially to those that practice in the long-term care sector. So one of the things is, you, you, Veronica, are from Nevada. Am I saying it right? Ah, so close. It's Nevada. Nevada, (laughs) Nevada. So what is going on with Nevada in terms of pharmacy regulation right now? Sure. So Arnie and I are ASCP's federal team. So we mainly focus on all things federal policy. We just don't have the bandwidth to look at a whole lot of states. I can go on and on and on about about the state of Nevada and a few different things that we do focus on. Um, But Arnie and I primarily try to keep up to date with anything going on in the administration and anything going on in Congress. Awesome. Yeah, if state issues uh, come up, we have a uh, government affairs committee and we always open up the end of that committee for um, comments from some of our members about what's going on in their state. Because a lot of times if it happens in one state, it means that it's probably going to happen in other states or it may already be happening in other states. So we use that feedback to help us keep on top of issues that will become national. But Veronica is right, we, we focus on national issues. Yeah, and we did also just announce something really exciting. We're gonna be bringing back our grassroots network. And that is something that we utilize to be able to inform everybody that's interested in jumping on a grassroots call, what's going on in government affairs, what's going on in um, all things pharmacy, on the Hill, in the administration. So that way, in case you're not interested in sitting on an entire committee, it's a lot of work. Um, this is just really a way that we can update all of our members. So we will be bringing that back at the very beginning of 2020 so that way we can make sure to get everybody involved as much as we possibly can. So one of the big things out in pharmacy right now and one of the big things you discussed in your session was pharmacy provider status where pharmacists can bill for their services. What is that going to look like and when do you think that's going to happen? When is it going to happen? That's that's a great question. I wish I had the answer to that. Uh, We've been trying for many, many, many years to get provider status 
pushed through as a piece of legislation. Um, as most of you probably know, pharmacists were not listed in the Social Security Act when it was written as a provider, and we've kind of suffered for that um, after all these years, because whenever legislation refers back to providers as defined in the Social Security Act, um, we're not there. A lot of times, private insurance, which has the ability to pay us right now for anything they want, they'll refer back to the federal uh, regulations as well. So, um, so we kind of got locked out a lot of the new payment models and things where we could be very effective. Um, if they refer back to the Social Security Act, we're kind of stuck there. So um, over the last two congressional sessions, the 114th, 115th Congress, um, we have introduced bills in both the House and Senate and have enough co-sponsors on both bills to push it across the finish line. The problem is the scoring or the price of those bills has always been too high. Even though we've narrowed the scope of what would be acceptable for provider status, um, the scores are always too high. So this year, um, the bills have not been introduced because there's so many other issues, especially the DIR fees that the pharmacy profession as a whole has been very focused on. And uh, we at ASCP have been focused on a lot of other issues too, like the six protected classes in Medicare Part D. But um, just last week, uh, Seema Verma, who's the head of CMS, came out with a statement that said they are looking at a way of getting pharmacist provider status. That would be a whole different route, and we've heard from some inside information that this is something that may actually happen. And so um, we're going to be in conversations with CMS to talk to them about this, but uh, it may happen quicker than we ever thought it could, which would be good news. Yeah, and Administrator Verba uh, is very good at making sure that she knows she's just hinting. She has commented, she has said that they're looking into it, they are interested in, in uh, further taking a look at pharmacists as providers. So we will continue to work with all of the pharmacy stakeholders and have that conversation with the administration. Um, those conversations are in the works. We're trying to plan meetings. Um, we are currently a part of a larger pharmacy stakeholders group that will be really looking into that. So. Um, as far as a process goes, it would be quicker if that was the way that we were able to move forward with this. But of course, we also have that legislative bipartisan support that we know currently does exist. Uh, so right now, we're in a very exciting time and we wait to see what our next best attack is. And what's really important with provider status is that um, it will be a state-by-state -state thing. So even if the federal government says, yes, you are a provider, you have to go back and see what your State Board of Pharmacy, their Practice Act, allows. So my advice to all you guys out there, state by state, is make sure there's something in your pharmacy law that will allow you to do the kind of services you'd like to do because um, if your State Board of Pharmacy doesn't allow it, then even with the federal regulation in place, you won't be able to do it. Very good point. So I'm just curious, since this is uh, something that's in, in discussions, is it something that would work like a nurse practitioner where it requires an extra year or of schooling or is it something that just it's blanketly given to all pharmacists across the country? Yeah, so this would apply to any pharmacist that has the credentialing to be a pharmacist. So whether it's a PharmD or an RPH, they would all be allowed to be recognized as providers under the Social Security Act. But the, uh, the salient point here again is depends on what your state practice access. So, you know, um, it's not going to be every pharmacist doing every kind of thing. Your state practice act may say you need advanced training 
for this or that So what service. that means is that all of our listeners out there need to just go petition their state board of pharmacies and start um, enacting those broader rules for us. Absolutely. And the other thing that's really great about bringing back the grassroots network is that we do things like send out letters to members of Congress, to members of the administration. We've done letters before to Administrator Verma at CMS. So uh, we do utilize that to reach out to our members to make sure that all of our members are able to write back and that their members of Congress are able to hear from their constituents. So we do utilize that platform and we hope that everybody will stay really involved with us. And just to for my little plug here, even though provider status is not there yet, I just want to say that we can still make a difference today and we can still do things to branch out the profession. We can still do things that are above and beyond to prove that we do deserve that provider status. And we don't have to have a provider status to make a difference today, but we can do things to prove our value to make it so that it can happen and will happen. So, Totally agree with you, Jared. And Something that we need to do, though, is document what we do. Absolutely. That's the biggest issue we have in pharmacy. We just do it to get it done, yeah. but we never document it. So um, it's very hard to prove our point to outside people. One of the, one of the reasons that scoring is so hard, um, they can't dynamically score a bill, so they can't show savings over here versus expense over there but we don't really have the hard facts to be able to show them that even if we wanted to. So um, anecdotally we do, but where is the data? So we really have to start thinking of ways of documenting what we do and show our worth. Right, we gotta start using our, our pharmacy school training to write soap notes, you know, start documenting what we do, all of that. I don't know about that because, you know, if you're in the community or retail setting, they don't have time to do soap notes. So what can they do in a quick manner? Like if they see a patient on duplicate medication therapy, is it okay to just write it and then later do an Excel sheet of every change they're doing? If that's the only method they have for collecting that data, what I think we really need to do as a profession is force our um, IT systems that we use, our processing systems, systems, so that it's part of workflow, so that when you do these interventions in the pharmacy, and the pharmacy really, even in long-term care, that's the first place you're gonna see orders. So, you know, get that order, you're calling up to clarify a dose, you're calling up to tell a physician that, you know, there's a, a drug interaction here that you should change to a different medication. We just do that and it's done, but it's not documented anywhere. So in our systems, we need to be able to document that information so it can then be collected and then you can get some kind of um, metrics from that. But um, if you don't have that and you want to take it upon yourself to start collecting data, collect it manually. Do a, do a, a, a spreadsheet with hash marks. I mean, it seems very rudimentary, but at least it starts to collect the right. data on what you're doing. Right, and I think that that's also really important because something that's really heartening for, for fellow policy wonks or for pharmacists as well is that data does still talk in Washington. So it's really important that we're able to start building these types of data sets. So quantitative numbers mean a great deal when they're trying to make laws. Um, even though a lot of it is, is better told through qualitative information, those quantitative numbers, uh, we can't duplicate them. So the more data that we're able to collect, the better advocates we're able to be, um, um, the better education we're able to have with members that have an opportunity to change laws. Right. So now I've only been a pharmacist for about eight years. Only. 
only eight years, right? Not very long. (laughs) (laughs) But in that brief eight years, probably the coolest point of my career so far is when you and Veronica, you and Arnold and and, uh, Chad reached out to me uh, so that we could start a discussion with the... uh, the administration of Mitt Romney, just because I live in Utah. So I was just purely by luck that you guys reached out to me on that regard. But it was just the coolest point of my career where I was able to reach out to the to that administration and work with you guys and be on conference calls. And so I just, I know a lot about what you guys do as a result, but I don't think a lot of the listeners know about all the stuff you guys do on veterans and, and uh, government affairs and whatnot. But maybe we were trying to work with the administration about the Safe Step Act. So maybe just give everyone a little bit of background on what that is and how it'll help pharmacists. Yeah, so the Safe Step Act has been a really big initiative of ASCP's previously. Um, We are so grateful that Jaron was able to jump on a call with us, um, and he was able to really make some great points with Senator Romney's staff, which of course is huge, and that's something that ASCP tries to do all the time, and we strive to really engage our members, because members of Congress and their staff want to hear from their constituents in the field. So we were able to bring in Jaron to work on this issue with their office, and the Safe Step Act was really an opportunity for a bill to be introduced in the House and the Senate, which it was, that would allow providers to create an exemptions process for patients that are facing step therapy. So obviously, we as pharmacists and and everybody that we advocate for understand that importance. So we want to make sure that patients have immediate access to their medications if they need it. It would have been medical exemption. So it was a really great bill. It was a totally free CBO score, meaning that it wouldn't have costed the system anything. And it was really easy to get through. So as of right now, it stands with about a hundred different sponsors in the House, and then it has several different sponsors in the Senate as well. ASCP served on the steering committee of that, and what we were really trying to do is say, hey, you know, if we want to make a difference, the only way that we're going to be able to expand patient access and make sure that we expedite patient access to their needed medications is by involving a pharmacist. Because currently, even if they have a 24-hour requirement that an insurance company would have to fill out an exemptions process and then go ahead and work through getting out of step therapy with a patient, it wouldn't start until the physician was able to fill out that exemption process. So what happens if we can go ahead and say, we can expedite this process. Let's allow the pharmacist to do that at the pharmacy counter or at the patient's bedside, that's really going to make sure that patients have quicker access. So that's really important and it's something that um, most members of Congress and most members um, out in the different fields and different types of providers already understood. So we did receive a lot of support. Unfortunately, at the very end of the day, um, there's still some confusion regarding pharmacists as providers and what pharmacists really are qualified to do. So we were not able to get language included, but we continue to have conversations regarding including that language at a later time. Members of Congress have actually expressed interest in taking up a standalone bill, and this is coming out of members of Congress with years and years of experience as physicians, as different types of caregivers and different types of providers. So um, it is really exciting. We got our name out there. We've let everybody know what a long-term care pharmacist does, what consultant pharmacists do, and how really clinical our expertise is. So right now we're just continuing to watch that, but we are very interested in in helping expedite patient access to their needed medications. What I will say is that there have been some other bills that have been introduced as well. And um, the Safe Step Act was based on ERISA plans, which are employer uh, insurance plans. And um, that does affect some of our patients that we take care of, but also Medicare is a big deal. And there's been some recent legislation that's been introduced uh, for Medicare plans. 
uh, for both prior authorizations and step therapy. So we are uh, very much engaged with those Senate offices on that. And hopefully um, just having a presence on the Hill. And as you mentioned, you know, being active, being involved, getting our voice out there, even if it doesn't happen right away, that recognition makes it easier the next time you go back right. to somebody else. Right, and it really allows different members to understand where we are experts in. So now they're able to come to us with questions about Medicare Part D because they know that that is really where a lot of our patients are. Um, in addition to that, we've had really great conversations with CMS regarding electronic prior authorization. Um, we still comment on all of the rules that they're working on to reduce provider burden, make sure that pharmacists are able to collaborate a little bit better um, with providers in different settings, so specifically in the Medicare setting. Um, so it's a really big deal for us, it's a really big deal for our patients, and we think that our pharmacists have the opportunity to make a difference. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for both of you coming on today's show and just giving us a um, preview of everything you guys talked about because there were different things you talked about at yesterday's session. You even talked about, I think, the six protected classes. Sadly, we couldn't go into all of that, but we do have the grassroots movement. So join ASCP so you can be part of the grassroots grassroots movement to find out more. Thank you so much both for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Senior Rx Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.